Hello everyone, I'm your host Jacob Thomas, and this is The History Book. Today on the show we will be speaking on early American travel, murder, and Charleston, South Carolina. So pull up a chair, and let's get into the story of Lavinia Fisher. Good afternoon everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The History Book. As the introduction stated today, we are going to talk about the life and death of Lavinia Fisher. To sort of stick with our common theme of Halloween and spooky season for this month. Now Lavinia is rumored to be the first female serial killer in the United States. While we will be obviously talking about Lavinia quite a bit today, I think today's show would benefit from more information on the things that really play into her life and death. So before we talk about Fisher, let's talk about Charleston's founding, its history in the early 1800s, and the highway travel in the early United States. Now, Charleston, South Carolina was founded in 1670, at least that's the common date adopted for it, and the town and city really ran into a dark path. First off, Charleston is not its original name. It was commonly referred to Charlestown until after the American Revolution to where they thought Charlestown sounded too British, so for some reason they thought Charleston wasn't. Now, as I was saying, from its founding and well into the 18th century, Charleston would face multiple smallpox outbreaks, an earthquake that destroyed a third of the city, and five to eight major outbreaks of yellow fever. Charleston became well known for its unhealthy environment, along with a good bit of the rest of the southern colonies and states later. Now, in 1718, the pirate Blackbeard besieged the town and took hostages until Governor Robert Johnson gave his ship the Queen Anne's Revenge, a chest of medicine. As a little bit of a fun fact, I'm actually recording this episode with a giant Blackbeard flag sitting right in front of me. Just a little bit of fun for the episode. Now, by 1708, Charles's population had become a majority of black African slaves. This created a near-constant security state, especially after the events of the Stono Rebellion, a uprising with these slaves, when the American War for Independence broke out, Charleston was commonly known as the Jerusalem of American slavery, its capital and center of faith. Charleston would continue to be the center of slavery, and the strict adherence to social class would come to play a part in the life of Lavinia Fisher. Now, a few seconds ago, I just brought up this idea of a constant security state in Charleston. Really need to keep that in mind, as these people were ever vigilant ever constantly looking for things that were out of place, going wrong, things that were missing, because of a deep mistrust between the white population and the African-American population in the colony and the state. Now, as I was saying, the other part of the story that would play into Lavinia's life is this adoption of a highway traveling in the early United States. Now, by 1790, the American and particular New England began a transportation revolution. Robes were improved, and highways began to pop up across the United States, such as the highway nearby me, known as the Lincoln Highway, or the National Road. With the growing revolution came a danger, as highwaymen began to rob those that traveled the new roads and pathways, taking advantage of a brand new system that could be exploited due to a lack of both regulation and security. By 1820, the roads in Charleston were no different especially these inns that would dot along the road. One of these inns was the business and home of John Lavinia Fisher, 
known as the Six Mile Wayfair House. This house would become perhaps one of the most notorious and dangerous homes in Charleston, especially when travelers began to disappear, with their last appearance being at the home of John Lavinia Fisher. Now, right now, we are going to take a quick break to learn how you can stay in touch with the history book. And when we come back, we will discuss the life and crimes of John and Lavinia. Hello everyone, this is Jacob, the host of The History Book, here to remind you that you can find The History Book on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as on our website, www.thehistorybook20.wixsite.com backslash thehistorybook. Thanks, and enjoy the rest of the episode. Welcome back, and thank you for staying tuned to that short social media break. Now, by 1819-1820, Lavinia and John were in ownership and operated the Six Mile Wayfair House near Charleston, South Carolina. Fairly soon after the couple took ownership of the inn, however, reports began to come in that travelers were going missing along that road. Because, as the name would suggest, the Six Mile House was six miles outside of the main center of Charleston. And really, that's how the road was populated. Every mile, there would be another house. The couple's popularity, as well as Lavinia's reported ability to charm locals, would keep their misdeeds and crimes really out of the public suspicion, at least for the time being. Now, the way that Lavinia and John would gather their victims was quite simple. Lavinia would invite these men in, especially those that had money or were traveling with possessions, such as traveling salesmen, would invite them in for a room to stay. She would basically interrogate these men to see how much they had or what they had, and when she felt that they would be a successful victim, offered them tea. Now this tea was laced with oleander, and reports say that either this tea would kill the men on the spot, or it would just simply knock them out. Now in the story that suggested it would knock them out, the guests would then be led upstairs for a room to stay after they sort of hinted at Lavinia they were quite tired most likely due to the laced tea. Once the men were asleep, John would enter the room and kill the men with an axe. Other versions of the story hold that once the men were asleep, Lavinia would pull a lever, dropping the bed into a pit lined with spikes, sending the men to their inevitable death. When these people did go missing, they were reported to be around the six or the five mile in. So, Soon after these reports really became public knowledge, a vigilante group went to the area and claimed to have stopped the highwaymen that were operating there, robbing and stealing from the people that were there. The vigilante group left a young man named David Ross to keep watch. The very next morning, early in the morning, might I say, Ross was attacked and kidnapped by the very highway robbers that the vigilante gang claimed to have stopped. He was taken in front of John and Lavinia, or as Ross told the story. And at one point, begging for his life, Ross looked to Lavinia for help, but instead she grabbed him by the throat and smashed his head through a window. Somehow, Ross was able to escape and alerted authorities. Almost immediately following this beating of John Ross, sorry, David Ross, John Peoples arrived at the Six Mile Inn. Now, Peoples was a traveling salesman who stopped in for a place to stay, 
However, Lavinia met him and told him there were unfortunately no rooms available, but he was welcome to come in and rest for a while. Now, some say that Lavinia didn't offer him a room due to the fact that he didn't look like he had money and the fact that they were obviously worried that David Ross had gotten away and had most likely alerted, alerted the authorities to come get them. Now, when Peoples comes in, Lavinia begins to really interrogate him, and he's offered tea. But apparently John Peoples really hated tea, and when Lavinia wasn't looking, he dumped it out on the floor. When she came back in, she interrogated him for hours, seemingly to decide if he was worth robbing, which apparently she did decide. She informed Peoples that there was a room available, and she showed him to the room. Now, Peoples was obviously suspicious and decided the best plan for him would be to leave his things on the bed and to sleep in a chair next to the door. A few moments later, the bed reportedly dropped out of the floor and John Fisher entered the room and found that Peoples had already jumped out of the window and escaped once the bed had dropped. Peoples ran to the Charleston authorities and gave them the names, a fact that the authorities didn't have before. John, Lavinia, and two other gang members were arrested and held in perhaps Charleston's most haunted and dark past there is, the Old City Jail. Now, if you'll stay tuned after this break, we'll discuss Lavinia's time in prison as well as her execution and death. Thank you for staying tuned during that short ad break. Now, as we were saying, Lavinia and her husband John were in prison, along with two other gang members in the old city jail in Charleston, South Carolina. Now, apparently while they were in prison, two of the gang members that were with them were able to make bail and were released. At their trial, John and Lavinia both pleaded not guilty, but the entire jury did find them indeed guilty. The judge allowed a bit of a reprieve into the January session of the court to allow for appeals. Now, while the Fishers were in prison, they began to come up with a plan to escape. On September 13th, John and a fellow member in prison tied a rope to the ground and were both able to escape, but Lavinia was left behind. John and the other were able to hide out while they tried to decide what to do to get Lavinia out. John unfortunately quickly realized that there would be no way to free Lavinia so he walked to the front door of the jail and was obviously taken back. After this, security was obviously greatly increased in the prison. Now, John and Lavinia did eventually lose their appeal, and on February 4th, 1820, they were sentenced to death by hanging. John would accept the counsel of the Reverend Richard Foreman, but Lavinia refused him, becoming more and more vitriolic. On February 18, 1820, John Lavinia was brought in front of a large gathering of Charleston socialites. John had Reverend Foreman read aloud a prepared statement that he stated he had converted to Christianity and could not allow a falsehood to be held on his record before he died. He pleaded that the justice system that had supposedly failed him would be forgiven and after the statement was finished, 
he asked for forgiveness, obviously contradicting himself, and was then hanged. Now, some popular belief in Charleston and a law on the docket was that a husband and wife could not be executed together. So, in sort of a bit of clever problem-solving, Charleston officials hung John first, therefore making Lavinia a widow and satisfying the law. Now, as I said, Lavinia is also set to be hung on the same day at the same time. Lavinia, on the other hand, had fully expected a governor's pardon to come from her. The public execution of a married female, as well as the fact that Lavinia was part of a higher social class, convinced Lydia, Lavinia she would be gifted with this pardon, but that pardon didn't come. In the brief moments before her execution, a note did come to the warden, although when the warden turned to look at Lavinia, he noticed the look on her face was that of shock and awe, thinking that the pardon had finally come. The warden simply looked at her and said, other business. When Reverend Foreman approached Lavinia to see if she had last words, legend says she pushed him away and said to the crowd, if any of you have a message for the devil, tell me now, for I shall be seeing him shortly. She then jumped from the platform, hanging herself. Lavinia's ghost is reported to haunt the old city jail. Lavinia Fisher's life and death demonstrate some very important things, mainly two. Now before we get into those, I just want to make a brief statement. The haunting of the old city jail by Lavinia Fisher, in all seriousness, makes perfect sense. It's where she was kept prisoner. It's a horrible place to be, and it's surrounded by a darkness, much like the town of Charleston is. The idea that Lavinia had jumped from the platform and somehow hung herself simply doesn't make much sense. And the entire legend of the Fishers is clouded in a mist of uncertainty. However, as I said, her death and life and even the legend itself really demonstrate two very important things. One... Lavinia's death and a lack of a pardon showed that gender would no longer hinder a public execution when it affects the growth of a city, such as Charleston that had created a society dedicated to a fear of a revolt and revolution. As I said before, I wanted you all to keep in mind that Charleston was a security state, extra vigilant to what was going on around them. This proved to be one of those chips in the armor of that security system, and when that chip was exposed, Charleston took drastic, severe action to make sure it would never happen again by using them, both Lavinia and John, as a sort of example for criminals. And two, as the nation continued to expand, requiring the formation of these highways and roads, human nature would really take hold here. Unfortunately, human nature seems to be to exploit a new system, the road system, when something new hasn't been regulated enough to protect those that need this system. 
Lavinia and her husband took full advantage of the newly established road system in order to rob and possibly kill these travelers. Now, you may have noticed a word in there and may be wondering why I would say possibly. And the main reason for that is there is a fair possibility Lavinia Fisher never even existed. Once again, making Mary Surratt the first woman publicly executed in the United States. But to get back to this idea that Lavinia never fit, really existed, there's I feel as though these legends don't just come from nowhere, obviously. There has to be a certain truth behind a lie in order to make it believable. I don't think the Lavinia just flat out didn't exist. However, there is a popular belief, or at least one that I've read, that I find very interesting. And it's idea that it's this idea that Lavinia was actually half African American. That she was of mixed ancestry. This idea would play into a lot of the story. Lavinia and John's arrest imprisonment and especially Lavinia's execution the idea that a half African American half white woman had somehow charmed her way into the Charleston socialites and had still been able to get away with something so terrible of the robbery of traveling salesmen and possibly the murder of countless victims would have shocked the security state social system of Charleston to its very core. Now, with all that being said, Lavinia Fisher and her husband have become a legend and have created huge tourist attractions in the city, especially those at their prison site and execution site of the old city jail. Now, to get to some more happy news, for everyone that's listening. Recently, I discovered that I had a new follower on my Twitter account. So I reached out to them, and I'm happy to say that on November 9th, I will be traveling to Mentor, Ohio, to interview the site manager of the James A. Garfield National Historical Site in a special edition of the podcast airing on Veterans Day, November 11th. Because of this awesome opportunity, the episode on November 4th will unfortunately not be taking place, but don't fret, I have another great idea in store for that day. So stay tuned, and until then, next time, this has been The History Book.